Welcome to the Books and Stuff podcast series. Krishna likes to read books, but Bala doesn't. Bala likes to write, but Krishna doesn't. They both love to talk. And so, Bala and Krishna decided to talk about what Krishna reads. And thus, the idea of recording their chatter was born. The two friends will discuss books they love. This series of podcasts is for busy people. People who'd love to learn about a book without having to read one. And maybe the podcast will inspire them to get their hands on a book that interests them. Feel free to leave your recommendations via social media or in the comment section below. Enjoy the Books and Stuff podcast. Hello and welcome to the Books and Stuff podcast. Next episode, I'm Bala Ramadurai. Say hello, Krishna. Hey guys, this is Krishna Mohan Raj from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, signing in for, is that episode number 9, Bala? Yes, episode number 9. Yes, believe it or not, episode number 9 it is. <laughs> so close to double digits. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the big one of Now, if, if, if only we had double digit listeners. <laughs> Yes, that's our aim too. With every episode, we would aim to collect one more listener. One more listener, okay. (laughs) So, I really wanted to experiment with our format this time. Uh, I know we've been tweaking and changing and doing lots of experiments. This is one more of those. Usually, the format is that you read the book and you tell me about it. We discuss about it. I, I ask those questions and I... I uh, learn more about the book and in in the process other people like me also uh, learn about the book that's our usual format last time we experimented with uh, double books two books in one shot and you sort of did a compare and contrast sort of thing which I kind of like uh, two heavy books actually but still you managed to somehow uh, bring the parallels and uh, bring the differences also uh, so that I I enjoyed that as well now this time I wanted to experiment with one more style, which is, I have read a book now, which I thought was very good, very well written, very well structured. And it is an area that you are an expert in. And that's been your focus for, I don't know how long, uh, Krishna, how long has it been since you've been in this? Uh, Yeah, it's been, I think I first came across uh, Warren Buffett's letters, maybe 2004 or something. And Okay, so about uh, pretty, 15 years, let's say. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, you've given up, given away the uh, the title. But so anyway, the book is called the Warren Buffett Way, and it is written by Robert G. Hagstrom. This book, I found it very intriguing. I've been looking at this book for a while. I thought it's going to be heavy stuff that I probably could not take it all at one go, but it turned out to be quite interesting and quite intriguing and of course lots of gaping holes for me because I could not understand a few things in the book. I thought what we would do is I can tell you about what I learned from the book, what I understood and absorbed from the book and I will pose some questions to you the expert. Okay, You've been on in this field like you said for 15 or so years. I'm going to bank on you to make me understand this book even better. 
uh, than okay. what I think I've understood. So this is exciting, Bala. I'm, I'm, I already feel like I've achieved something that I've encouraged you to read <laughs> more. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. It's uh, call it peer pressure, whatever. <laughs> but here yeah, we are. <laughs> but I like it how, despite you reading the book, I'm ending up <laughs> again having to face the bullets of your questions. But yeah, I'm <laughs> looking forward to it. Oh, that's what you signed up for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me put it this way that the intriguing part in this is that I assumed also that it's going to be autobiographical. I mean, I'm sorry, biographical in the sense that they would cover a bit of Warren Buffett's life. Yes and no. Yes, it is there. The snippets of uh, how he actually moved from running a company to investing to again coming back to running a company and then investing the whole way and now doing both uh, he doesn't run companies he owns businesses he is also a common stock investor as, as he calls it a lot of things and and how he is actually educated people through his shareholder letters the annual reports apparently it's it's like a volume of work if you put them all together it's like a treatise on uh, value investing. This is the concept of investing not based on just the ticker symbols or the graphs, the plots that you see uh, with the prices going up and down, but it is looking at businesses uh, run by people for a product or a service, or uh, you know, that uh, is the main focus. I found that that was the big difference, and this book uh, impresses upon anybody that basically. Or the Warren Buffett's way is to treat companies as businesses that you would like to own. You would like to be the owner of this particular business, whether it's it's a common. In fact, the strategy does not change if he is going to outright buy a company or buy stocks in the company. So yeah, yeah, you know, I think you worded it very well. Uh, one one other way to think of it is, you look at a company and he says. Hey, do I want a piece of this? Do I want to own a piece of this? Mm. If I don't, then just move on. Like, don't worry about where the stock is going. If it's going up or down, or who else is buying it. Do I like this business? And would I want to be an owner of it forever? Right. right. That's kind of the starting point. Yeah, that's the key. Forever, the Warren Buffett way, I think, is that don't ever sell the stock or the business uh, because you you put in enough thinking behind this and you have uh, enough trust in the, the business model, the people, what they have to offer, all that and the price, of course, lastly, the price as well. And now I don't need to think about it anymore. So it's going to be there forever. That's the that's, uh, thinking behind. So he says, okay, now Warren Buffett, when he thinks, he thinks billions and millions. So those are probably numbers that many common stock investors may not even be able to fathom the magnitude of the numbers that Warren Buffett deals with on a daily basis. But the principles apply to a person who is even buying 100 shares or 50 stock or whatever. It doesn't matter what the number is. The principles are exactly the same. The thought behind it is exactly the same. The rationale, the everything else is Absolutely the same is what the author is trying to impress. I think the other way to put it is it's just a fractional ownership of a business, right? So yes. whether the fraction is 10% or you know, 0.01%, yeah. the principle doesn't change. Yeah, this is what I understood from the overall perspective. It also 
talks about the four influences that Warren Buffett uh, has had in his life. And that forms the basic core idea of the book itself. So I'm coming to your style of presenting the book, which is the core idea of the book, which is four people, four influences and four tenets. It's all around this four that the book revolves around. And so I would list it down. I, I have the book right in my hands. I can read it from there. Okay, I don't want to miss anything. The first one is the business tenets. It's all about the business, just like what we are talking about uh, before I started this, which is, is the business simple and understandable? Does the business have a consistent history, uh, operating history? So does it actually deliver stuff? And uh, that's the past. So what about the future? Can it deliver the same kind of prospects in the long term as well? So these are the business tenets. So can you understand the business? What about the past? Is it good? Has it been delivering returns as it's supposed to? And do you think there is a long-term prospect for it also? So in the future as well. So that's the business tenet itself. Uh, the second part is the management part of it, the people part of it, people who take care of the business. Do you think they are balanced in their thinking or do they get, do they make irrational moves is one uh, question. How do they interact with people who have invested money into the business in, in a, like a public company, it would be the shareholder or people who have invested the investors. Again, this is where I would need some help is something called an institutional imperative. And I, I can describe it in a, a little later. So this is my problem areas where I did not understand a few things there. So that's the management part. So the people who are managing it. Third part is the financial tenant. Financial tenant talks about uh, when the business invests in money, does it get it back? Does it get more than what it has put in or is it lesser? Have they taken a lot of money to get returns? Just have they borrowed a lot of money and thus they are getting these returns or is it because of business acumen that they are getting this? He calls it owner earnings and there's a way of calculating that, I suppose. Again, some help required there. How much of profit are they making? Are they making tons of profit? Are they making less profit? And are they uh, making, creating value? Again, here also I would need some help. What do you mean by creating value? So that's the financial tenant. So that's the third pillar. So the fourth pillar is value tenant. So value clearly talks about Okay, what is the value of the company in uh, dollar terms considering its future life? If you extend it to say next 10, 15 years, it's going to be there. What would it be its value? And currently, what is its price? So there's a price tag in the market compared to what you think is the value. Is it lesser than that value? And there he talks about de-risking and cushion, what do you call it? Margin of safety. Margin of safety. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's the term I was looking for. Margin of safety. And also a little bit about can you take in the fact that the price is going to keep fluctuating between very high to very low. Uh, can you take it? Can your stomach take it? That's sort of referred to in the value tenant part of it. This is the basic uh, Warren Buffett way. And each of these actually came from four different people, the, the four tenants. The value tenant part I know came from Benjamin Graham, his guru. The first one that he, I think, interned with and was an employee of his investing firm a long, long time ago. And the other person is Fisher. Then the third person, of course, is Charlie Munger. Fourth person is John Burr Williams. So these four people basically gave Buffett the thinking that 
he finally came out with that's that's according to the author so graham fisher williams and munger so these are the four people who have influenced his way of thinking you know, maybe while well, the four tenets are a nice way to think about it maybe we just take each tenet in order okay. and kind of explore your understanding maybe like talk a little bit more about it uh, do you want to start with the business tenet sure so what i understood by business is fact that it should be a and he calls it the circle of competence for example the most common criticism that buffett says oh wait a second you haven't invested in technology stock at all and for that the reply is i don't understand technology i don't understand how the business with technology works even though william gates bill gates is my friend i don't know how he makes money so that he calls as the circle of competence and so which means yeah. that you should be able to understand how the business actually makes money the bill gates point i think i want to stress on it because Please. you know most people who invest are anxious looking for ideas all the time right uh, and you would think and they they try to be opportunistic i am your friend uh, you uh, work in i don't know the the coal industry in india then i would the fact that i know you i would try to learn more about the industry and maybe if you say something i would i might invest in a coal stock that's the nature of most people but you have this guy who's you know by far the best investor ever and he's friends with bill gates and they go on trips together uh, he's on the bill gates is on the board of berkshire hathaway and despite that despite all that influence he doesn't want to invest in it because he doesn't understand it and that's the core of i think business tenet because he's basically saying i don't care what anybody says i need to in my bones understand the business before i put money into it right because what you said or he said or she said will change in a couple of years and the same person will come to you tomorrow and say hey you know what you should probably get out because i don't like it anymore right so that's the part that's ex- extremely hard for most people i think to do is to say that the decision is completely yours and it doesn't matter how much information you get from other people or how much opinion you get from other people do what you think is right you know that's the thing to learn from buffett at least in this context is that you know you, you, do you understand the business you don't just move on because there are so many things to to look at and famously i remember starts looking at and this must be like 60 years ago like he was really young and he starts looking he, he basically takes the uh, kind of like the yellow pages of business he say he goes to a new market let's say korea he wants to look at korean stocks and korea is an example in his biography where he just basically gets the the i don't know who publishes those manuals just the list of companies in korea and he just starts at a and goes all the way through z looking at company by company trying to see if he can understand it if it's interesting so that's the kind of guy you know you're talking about i'm sure by now he's seen analyzed and thought about every business that ever existed like in the last you know 60 70 years right so i mean again going back to the business tenet you were talking about it's uh, can i understand the business if i uh, if i can understand the business right. then it's within the my circle of competence now you can keep learning more and you can grow that circle of competence like you know you might be a you know software guy so you know you understand uh, you know infosys and microsoft and those kind of businesses but over time you start learning other sectors that you're not familiar with Uh, maybe you go into some hardware some related technology sectors semiconductors whatever you can increase that circle of competence but very clear where your circle of competence is because once you step out and start buying stuff that you don't understand 
asking for trouble right one more related point i think it's worth thinking about is it doesn't matter how big that circle of competence is what matters is you knowing where the boundary is like <laughs> it's if, mm. if your circle of competence is very narrow that is fine you can still be a successful investor but you better be sure that you know where the boundary is like don't kid yourself because you're the easiest person to kid you know these are all like general terms that uh, all in the all are in the context of business tenets uh, a quick question on understanding the business okay yeah. so by that you, it means that you start from the customer all the way till uh, production and how things go on inside the business you understand all the elements of uh, what goes into the product itself what all does yeah. it involve I, i'm just making up my own stuff yeah. not there no, the i think book, but so, i'm that's my no, that's a good question like i uh, sometimes i i feel like it's it's best if you can visualize yourself as the ceo of that business or you visualize yourself as a entrepreneur who's starting a competing business so let's say for example like we'll say you worked in mindtree right so mindtree is a business you been part of you understand how the business works you know what clients pay the business for right so you you, you produce a product the product has a life cycle and clients pay for it for that product you know whether it's a consulting product or a software product you have input costs you, you know what it takes to hire people you know how difficult it is to manage hr functions etc right so once you start putting yourself in the shoes saying hey how can i start a business like that how much money do i actually need on day one let's say you want to start a competing business how much business how much money do i need that's the capital investment how much money do i need to invest in marketing people in product development people hr etc right to get it to scale and how long will i actually lose money in that process before clients actually start paying me enough for me to show a profit if you start completely visualizing that business then you start understanding the business better you, you get to a point where maybe maybe and it's not possible in every instance but maybe you can look out 5 years and say hey this is what the net cash flow from the business is going to look like over the next 5 years meaning this is going to be my profit and after paying everything this is the exact cash that i'm going to take out and out of that cash we call it free cash you actually also have to possibly invest for next year's business so maybe you need to buy more machines maybe you need to you know invest more buildings maybe you need to set up a headquarters abroad etc right so once you net out those investments how much is actually left for the owner that's owner earnings so i mean that's kind of a way to think about a business and it's not easy which is why the circle of competence uh, point is so important because it's not really that easy to understand most businesses right like take uh, you can pick like four five six sectors think about a bank you know how does a bank work it's highly regulated you won't get a banking license it's not easy to start a bank so these are all good things because that means existing banks have some value right but at the same time banks give out loans how good is your underwriting process in terms of giving out loans because today you might look like you're profitable but if you give out bad loans that's not going to be the case over time uh, you can look at a mining company you need to invest or find mining assets you know you need to buy them and then you need to process it and then you're at the mercy of the commodity cycle so just visualizing that business again as an entrepreneur as a ceo will take a take you a lot of time to understand how that business actually works you can we talked about this software business you can look at the semiconductor business again it's a very cyclical business because you have to invest a lot of money it's really high technology and technology keeps moving away from you you have issues like pricing you know it's deflationary because most 
most electronic products lose value right over time like so you're constantly uh, investing while the prices are going down into product while prices are going down so again completely different dynamic to a mining company to a bank to an insurance company to a software company so you take business by business you spend you immerse yourself in the annual reports the uh, earnings calls of different companies there and after a while you start forming a picture okay like fellas into let's say the top 10 banks in in top 10 you know maybe private or psu banks in india right hdfc bank uh, kotak mahindra icici bank yes bank uh, sbi over a two year period maybe you start forming a picture of okay this is how the banking system in india works these are the like big players these are the ones who are doing well these are the ones who have a history of uh, underwriting effectively these are the ones who have strong branch network that kind of gives you a circle of competence over time uh, where you can say you know what okay maybe i can look at icici bank or you know pick any bank and say that, that you know i know enough about this business to now know that i can see what the bank is likely going to look like over the next 5 years you know that's the starting of uh, i feel like that that's the core of the business in it and if you can get there you have no bus- you have no business putting money into it right at least in the warren buffett way now i have mm. to caveat all yeah. this and say you know you can very well not do any of this just listen to somebody and say he said buy whatever bank and you go and buy it and make a lot of money and be perfectly happy <laughs> but that's not the warren buffett way his his ways you know what i i'm going to just keep reading till i have a clear view that independent of what anybody else says i will i will know enough of, about this business that i can put money into i agree with you that this is one of the toughest in terms of understanding the business takes a lot of effort takes a lot of reading also like you're saying putting yourself in the shoes of an entrepreneur not just give the money and walk away kind of uh, entrepreneur but entrepreneur who really cares about what they do with your money yeah the entire cycle from sourcing all the way till the products and marketing and channel distribution all that you have to think about it so I, th- this reminds me of you know one construct that has really helped me visualize any business but of course the details are very important as warren buffett also says and the author also says in this book uh the construct that helps uh, is called the business model canvas it's a box like representation you can uh, google it and find out about business model canvas in which what the value proposition is what the growth strategy is what the competitor strategy is where who are the key partners who are the key people and whom do you supply where are the customers how am i going to acquire customers how how am i going to distribute to the customers all these sort of form the boxes of the business model canvas it is a good starting point to understand a business but of course that's the starting point so it's yeah. a lot 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 more than just knowing what these elements are to actually knowing the business um, right and maybe some experience in that industry may help experience in running a, even a small business may help because now you know okay nobody knows me so i have to tell people that i exist okay marketing i have to make stuff i can't do it all by myself i need some help there's your hr so you're thinking now uh, even with a small firm thinking these are the elements and all that's uh, you know uh, this is my uh, small view about learning how a, how even a business works forget a particular business i'm saying how business works 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think the other uh, thing, uh, I guess the interesting point is uh, most people who are into investing end up liking reading or learning about businesses. So they say they go to a, a store, they go to a new restaurant, they go to any kind of new concept business like uh, in retail especially. And they're inherently curious to see, you know, what would what would it take to set this up? You know? What are the aspects of this business that make it different from any other business that I know? So, and, and that part, if you find it fascinating, I feel like it's even easier to get into investing and to enjoy investing uh, because business models are changing all the time. You know, you know small things like, I, I remember when the internet first showed, uh, showed up in India, like we, we got access to, I think it was Yahoo Mail was the first one. I remember creating an account, but I never even thought to say, why are they offering me email for free? Like there's a business model behind it. In fact, it might not have been clear to most people at the time, but those kind of things, if you have a curiosity, then you're more likely to understand and or at least get into investing in, in a big way. You, you, you're more likely to do investing in this way, right? Like there's lots of other ways to do investing, of course, but if you want to do the Warren Buffett style of understanding businesses, then having an interest in business definitely helps, obviously. The diametrically opposite view uh, is that, oh, it's too risky and like akin to gambling, where you may end up losing everything. So that's the opposite view, where you treat businesses as racehorses rather than business entities. So to me, the most appealing point of view uh, that Warren Buffett brings is that eventually these are companies that you and I probably worked for or work for, uh, which are, uh, you know, traded in the market as pieces of company that anybody can own. So to me, that that is a big mind shift from the view that I had a long time ago that, oh, these are just uh, the, those things that you place your bets on and yeah. you, you win, you walk away with a lot of money or you lose all of it. So that's, that's the all or nothing that I used to have. Uh, before I got into value investing itself. The Indian market has developed over the, the last 20 years too, since we were in college to now, that as the equity markets become more mature in India, there's a better understanding of, of the market as well, right? So it, it was not, uh, it, it's maybe the equity culture is, uh, it definitely has more of a history in, in the US. Uh, so when we were studying working in the us we, we got exposed to it more because it's, it's it's a much more mature market it's been around a long time people have 401ks or you know retirement accounts and they're used to being in the market whereas in india at least growing up i knew that my dad used to buy like these share certificates from uh, reliance and spic and but it, it 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 seemed like a one-off thing like it didn't seem it's not like he was he had like direct deposit into into a, an investment account, a retirement a tax advantaged account, etc. I, I don't remember that growing up. So part of it is also the, the market maturing, I think. So now I think most of my friends there are just assume that you will have to invest in the market on a regular basis over time and do like weighted cost averaging like over time of retirement funds. But it is, it's just a development in that process. Yeah, good point. Actually, that brings me to the people aspect of the Warren Buffett way, which is the maturity happens because you start seeing that people like you and me are either investing or benefiting out of working for a public listed company. That brings me to the fact that the leadership of the company itself plays a big role in determining whether the business is well managed or not so well managed. That's the second tenet, which is the management tenet. 
the philosophy behind it is that people who are rational will think about how to make this business better in the long run so the prospects are much better and with a tra- good track record of running the business uh, and he gives example from coca cola where the new ceo although the business was okay it was sort of heading towards a stagnation point it wasn't yet there but the new ceo came and said i'm going to change the whole thing i'm going to make it much leaner i'm going to get out of markets or products which coca cola should not be in he said we are a beverage company we're going to stick to our guns so that's warren buffett really liked the message that that this guy had to say and that actually apparently served as a tipping point for warren buffett to consider coca cola and start investing at some point of time and said when the price was right he felt that he should go ahead and 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 buy stocks in there and the management part is the second part because one thing to say that on the business side we said okay now i gone to my circle of competence i picked this business that i understand which means at least for the next few years i kind of know how much cash is going to come out of the business and the key is i guess what you said earlier is that i'm investing based on the operating results of the company not based on what the market says so that means next year if the stock price gets cut in half i don't care as much because all i'll care about is that the company is generating cash uh, and it's doing what it's supposed to do right i'm looking for that confidence but then that confidence is also dependent on the person running it so obviously i have to look at the business i have to look at if i look at uh, mindtree i know what it's going to do but then the person the person running it is super important uh, to ensure that my estimates end up being roughly right the person also has to be honest like you know because at the end of the day as an equity holder you're a minority shareholder you don't have any control on what the management team does you have indirect control through the board but it's not enough for you to make any changes so if the management decides to steal your money that cash that you thought about then your investment case goes for a toss so before you put money in the second thing that you would talk about is the management the people angle the reason we look at history is because people are very hard to judge people change people who get to the top of any organization typically end up being extremely good at articulating uh their message so which means they're good sales people by definition right so just by meeting management or listening to them speak in a big you know meeting or a conference you're likely to be taken up by them because that's what they're good at the only objective measure you have is the history they track record so if you say xyz business is in a good spot they they can do really well and this management team looks not just competent but really honest then you can just look back if you said instead of just saying that if you told me that Oh by the way look at the last 10 years look at what they've done they've been always shareholder friendly and they've executed well that's a, a bigger vote of confidence than just what just listening to them so that's why you look at history of financials history of what the company has done over time but having said all that you know management i feel like personally i feel like it's always things can change like there's always an element of uncertainty around people and so when you find the really good ones that's why warren buffett always pays up for the really good businesses and the really good management teams because they are so rare another great question is uh, many could be even family businesses just because the dad or the mom did very well doesn't mean the son or daughter also yeah, yeah. are are living no, a, that as well yeah that's a very good There's point of, uh, those are all the questions as as an investor you have to ask is that how much of the past is going to continue is it the same people is it different see it's not that you don't want the management team to change this is most of the markets are heavily competed 
So you actually want innovation. You want people moving with the times. But at the same time, you just want them to also have good corporate governance, have shareholders in mind, minority shareholders in mind. You know, those kind of things, you want consistency. But in terms of execution, you want them to try to do the best for the business. Yeah, so it's a, it's a tricky point. Like, you know, sometimes you have to have a leap of faith when uh, management changes. It's, it's a hard thing to do. Apparently, this was interesting is that uh, Warren Buffett invested in Amazon after Jeff Bezos honestly said, you know, these options are an expense for me and not, not really paying off, uh, whatever. I, I don't understand the details, but Warren Buffett found Jeff Bezos to be very you know, upfront and saying the right things. So he was very impressed and he actually invested, I think, was it 100 million or something like that uh, in Amazon. In, in quite quite early days, I would say. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. Became... yeah, it's interesting. I don't know that particular example. I, sometimes I think he's he's bet too much on management teams, uh, or he's put more faith in management teams than eventually things didn't play out well. There have been a few examples, but then you can't fault him because these decisions are not like black and white decisions, right? So in mm. hindsight, you can, you, you'll always have some, some losers and some winners. That's right. Yeah, that's the close to 100 million way back in 2003. What Warren Buffett described in the, in the book is that it took particular courage and his decision would be recognized and remembered. So about his decision to, I think, announce that uh, he would start expensing the stock options. Yes, this is what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, Amazon announced that they were going to expense stock options. So Buffett was in, impressed. He invested a hundred, hundred million in in the company. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, people change. Sometimes you want company to change with the times, and not be doing the same thing that they were doing long time ago. In fact, at some point, I I remember reading in the book that. Buffett is not interested in a company which is completely revamping and reinventing itself. He looks for reliability. So which means that they have to be on a steady path and they exhibit tendencies to be on that steady path for a while. That's when he finds the company uh, ready for his investment. That that was interesting to me that if I think about it in terms of an S-curve, the hockey stick, uh, famous hockey stick curve, uh, he's not interested in the bottom part of it where they're just finding, tottering their way around. So clearly startups and IPOs are out. And yeah. neither is he in, interested in the ones that are going to into the next phase. So right in the middle is the linear growth curve. I, I'm just rationalizing his his way of thinking or putting it into a, into a graph like that. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think it's... Uh... You know, it all goes back to point one, right? Like the business tenant. If you can't see it, then you can't invest in it. And it's hard to see it when it's an early stage company. That is not to say you won't make 100 times your money investing in early stage, maybe more. But that's not the kind of investing we're talking about. If you can make 100x, 200x, obviously you can do it in everyone. Like the VC model is that you don't have to do it in everyone. Like if you own Facebook and you own like 20, 25 losers, Facebook would pay off for the other losers. That's the whole business model. And which is why VCs you find have fear of missing out. They, they, they want a piece of everything because they don't know which one is going to be the next Facebook. So they go after everything. And that, so that changes. That's a completely different mindset to investing compared to here where it's the opposite of FOMO. It's like uh, the ability to say no. Buffett looks at a thousand businesses and says no before buying a little bit of 
the thousand and one business, right? That's that mindset is like almost the mirror image of the VC mindset. Ah, that that brings us to the third tenet, which is the financial tenet. So here we, we were getting into touchy feely stuff so far. I mean, understanding a business so is very experiential. Understanding people, which is again very uh, we can't put your finger down and say this is what the management should have or this is what the business should have for me to invest. Now we come to sort of left brain approach is very analytical, which is the financial tenant is return on equity, owner earnings, profit margins, and the value created in the market. So these four are what uh, he terms as financial tenant. So now I'm going to uh, pass it on to you, Mr. MBA, to tell us in very, very simple terms, what are these terms uh, really? The simplest thing to think about is an additional dollar that the business is investing. Is it what kind of returns are you getting on that additional dollar? So let's say you want to put your money into General Motors stock. Like I'm just picking an example or uh, Maruti Suzuki. Let's stay closer to home, right? So let's say next year, Maruti Suzuki has to invest, you know, so many, so many thousand crores into its plants, into its people into its offices, what is the long-term return going to be on that incremental investment that they're making? All the financial analysis you do eventually goes to that core question. So because they're asking you for your capital, right? When you buy their shares, you're, you're basically be, becoming an investor. So obviously the question you have to ask is what are they going to do with the money? And what are they going to do with the money? They're going to invest it in the, fu- in the, in the future growth of the business. And that investment, is it an attractive one or is it not? Okay, now you can look at the past, obviously, like, uh, and to see every year, you can see what the balance sheet looks like, you know, what is the total capital in the business, you can look at how much earnings they have had. And that earnings over capital in rough terms is, uh, is the return on investment of the business. And you can get even more fancy, you can look at it year by year and say, you know, what is the how much did the balance sheet change by meaning what is the incremental capital going into the business? And what was the return? What is the additional return for that incremental capital? So maybe initially some of these businesses would be low return because you're, you're not at scale. But once you get to a certain point, incremental returns would be high. So uh, most of investing, uh, especially the first tenant, you said it's touchy-feely, but uh, I think it's less touchy-feely than you think. The second tenant may be touchy-feely, but the first one is actually a part of understanding a business is actually connecting it to the financials to say, this is the kind of return on incremental capital that I expect. Like every dollar I put in, if it's going to be a dollar and 50 cents in one year, that's a 50% uh, return on my marginal capital, right? That's a huge return. If the business returns 50% on incremental capital, it's very likely that your investment, again, that depends, it depends on the price you're buying, buying it at, and we'll get to that in point and at four, but it's very likely if the underlying business has high returns, you as an investor who's providing capital will also end up with pretty good result. You know, that's the core idea. Some of this stuff you can do very simply, like you can, you know, I'm sure there's like cleaner.in and those websites will give you a return on capital for the business. But uh, I would say if you had to pick one metric to look at, understand the return on capital of a business and you will find that businesses are not normally distributed when it comes to returns. There are some super phenomenally good businesses and there's some really bad return on capital businesses. And if you just plot the companies you look at in that metric, you'll already know where you should be focused at, right? Like, so you already know you want to be in the high return on capital businesses. That kind of brings us to the next, like tenant four, which is 
once you know where you want to be you know get rid of remember buffett says no to most things because they are bad businesses once you get to the right quadrant then you start asking hey okay fine these are great businesses i want to own them own them forever they run by great management teams now you are asking question number 4 or tenant number 4 okay is that, are they cheap uh, is it a good time to buy them i already teed you up for tenant for for <laughs> <laughs> yes yes so there is fourth tenant as i understand is again purely uh, based on numbers and i and i agree with you that financial tenant and business tenant you can't just tease it out and say they are completely separate they do run off each other so that's that's true in the value tenant this is the only tenant which looks at the price of the common stock in the market uh, because the moment you mention investing to somebody in the market the first thought that comes to anybody including me in my earlier days what is the stock price in fact in this the, this is the last one that you look at and that's only for buying decisions the inherent value of the company as you calculate it is much higher than the selling price then the decision is easy you go ahead and buy it if it's you know touch and go it's not it's not so far off then you say okay i'm going to hold it or i'm not going to look at it or like you say no to that business because right now because rest of the stuff falls in place uh, the price is just too high i'm not going to buy it now um, because margin of safety is what uh, ben graham uh, in in the what 1930s or uh, 40s came up with this idea that stood the test of time uh, warren buffett still follows it uh, all value investors seem to be following that tenet uh, that principle as well so yeah is there a discount so i think it was an intelligent investor in that book written by ben graham that he talks about if you're going to a, a sale you know a regular clothing store when there is a sale you like the prices you you inherently you look at it and said hmm this looks like it's worth 700 rupees and you look at the price tag if it is at 200 you say wow what a steal this is exactly the mindset you should have when buying a picking up a stock this is what i remember yeah. from from that book this, this this is the mindset you have to go in with buying this uh, stock as well yeah i think it's probably the easiest one to understand like i mean you you i think you presented it well like you go you go looking for sale for most of the things and end is bargain hunting and uh, so it, the same thing you do in stock it's just that you stay in the in the high quality stocks uh, and you can do bargain hunting when the time comes it's just that you can't do it every day because there are times when the market is expensive and you just sit tight uh, and there are other times when nobody wants to touch the market and there's a gdp slowdown and stocks uh, sell off and that's when you go hunting but you you have to be very careful just because the stock gets cut in half doesn't mean it's a good buy just because the stock stock is up 50% doesn't mean it's a bad buy or a good buy it doesn't it's almost independent of the price it's, you have to understand i think what is telling is that this the price tenant is placed at the bottom first you have to get through the first three tenets before you get to the price tenet do you understand the business do you like the management team are the financial metrics something you could relate to once you get all that cleared then you value the business you say you know this is what on a per share basis i think makes sense for this business then you try to buy it at a discount like you said a margin of safety because you know what you're human right so the first three tenets you could have got it wrong so you buy it at a 30% discount or a 40% discount to what you think it's worth that margin of safety somewhat cushions you if you get things wrong if you think that the next five years are going to look like this for 
Aisha Motors company that you know very well. You like off-roading, you like bikes, you, you understand the company, but you have a sense of what this company is going to do in the next five years. But you could be wrong. You know, the consumer demand might just fall off a cliff. Things could get bad. If you buy it at a discount of what you think it's worth, then you won't care. Like, okay, that stock price gets in half, but it gets even cheaper in your opinion. You can actually buy more. If you pay too high a price, then you won't have any discount. You don't have any margin of safety. So that's the, the fourth point is all about looking for that cushion. But it's a very difficult thing to do because, you know, even uh, professional investors get their estimates very wrong, you know, sometimes. And, and that, I think that's probably why Buffett has such a big advantage because he's done it over such a long period of time. He's made mistakes too, but he's learned from them over a long period of time. Being a learning machine and following the broad market for a long period definitely makes, gives a huge advantage to you. So when the next time, you know, 2008, uh, stock market crash comes, somebody like Buffett can jump in and take advantage of things, whereas everybody else is too scared or they don't have the capital to do it. So it's about having enough cash available for bad days. Uh, it's about jumping in when things look really bad. And even then, if, if you think about it, in 2008, Buffett jumped in and bought stuff and he got, he actually got really interesting deals from like really high quality company and Goldman Sachs gave him, asked him to invest even though they didn't need capital because simply his word, right, had a, the fact that he invested meant a lot at the time in a bank. So if you're around for a long time and you build that kind of credibility, you get opportunities presented to you. But for, you know, mere models like us, we have to be even more worried about margin of safety uh, and be cautious about what price we pay. Actually, in the same uh, segment, there's an opposite point of view that harbors as well. Uh, and that's from the Charlie Munger school of thought, which is if a really good company is available at a slightly premium price, go buy it. Coca-Cola is a standing example. But of course, in future valuation, it turned out that it was worth a lot more. So the value that normally, I think this is the future uh, counting backward, right? So Coca-Cola is valued yeah. at much, much higher than so people, in fact, thought that Warren Buffett was overpaying when he bought stocks of Coca-Cola. Whereas, yeah, I mean, the thing is, see, you can yeah. you can think of it as the rest of the market was underestimating the value, right? His he was still buying it at margin of safety. It's just that his opinion of what Coca-Cola was worth is much higher. Ah, so okay, okay. That is the that's the nuance that some value investors miss. They think value investing is about buying cheap. P multiples or cheap price to book multiples, like statistically cheap stocks. But P multiples and price to book are just one component of valuation because they don't value, they sometimes undervalue, uh, you know, something like, I don't know what, what the right example in, in India is, but, you know, some of the consumer staple stocks in India are now trading at uh, really high valuations. So, uh, like uh, Hindustan Unilever or Britannia or, uh, uh, or Nestle India. They're probably trading at 40 times. I don't know the exact number, but I would suggest, I'd guess about 40 times price to earnings, which is a hefty multiple. And But you as an investor have to make the call, are they such good businesses? Uh, they're obviously steady businesses. Uh, consumer penetration of packaged goods is extremely low in India. Huge runway for growth uh, and dominant brands. You know, a lot of reasons why I could tell you that uh, maybe 40 is not, too expensive for them. But you have to make that call. 
because at the same time you'll be finding indian some of the indian public sector banks trading at eight times price to earnings you know like one fifth the price of you know whatever one fifth the the, the multiple right so you would you can't just say okay this means that i should be buying the low pe banks and not buying the high pe consumer staple stocks you know there's a reason why the market is valuing them there it's up to you to say uh, where do i want to invest right and it's uh, you know it's it's a matter of opinion it's a matter of but whatever you do then you put a discount to it right whatever how you value it, you have to put a discount to it uh, and it should still be worth buying that's the key point it's not just buying cheap uh, statistically cheap stock but it's buying stocks that are trading less than your estimate of value so that actually brings me to ben graham's mr market he says that mr market personifies the stock market with a mr market he says is crazy in the short term meaning that he would give you a really low price for a good a great stock and at times rise up the value of a stock that is almost worthless also i mean a company that is worthless also he might offer you a very price a high price mr market is extremely crazy in the short run but he is very sane when it comes to long term he's a perfect gentleman uh, that he would actually bring in good companies and he would make them grow in the long term that's that's the personification that ben graham uses and this is that is also referred to in this book i remember it from my intelligent investor as well there's also this uh, weighing machine versus voting machine uh, ah okay <laughs> thing it's a sound of similar yeah okay. like sometimes it is uh, a voting machine sometimes it's a weighing machine yeah. ah okay so uh, w- one thing about this book is also towards the end after these four tenets there, there is a good large section on managing your portfolio and it's given there are lots of tips given based on uh, the warren buffett way of course with with quotes by warren buffett from his shareholder statements from his annual reports uh, and very nice ones at that i'd like to read one of them which is which i found to be really good and it sums up a principle uh, and, and i'll cover that principle after i uh, read out the quote the quote is i can't be involved in 50 or 75 things that's a noah's ark way of investing you end up with a zoo i like to put meaningful amounts of money in a few things so that's that's the quote yeah, yeah, yeah. so essentially you needn't be diversified in in a in a 100 stocks or a 50 stocks but you could have a few like i think you mentioned this even in the in the business tenet that you could understand a few businesses you really and he remain invested uh, at least for 5 years because in a year nothing happens that he again he says that uh, warren buffett i think says that just because the sun is going around i mean the earth is going around the sun once doesn't mean anything for a business it could be a longer yeah. cycle for that business so has nothing to do with that so you might want to think about what happens in 5 years and just limit yourself to say a manageable number that you can you can manage 5 to 7 to 10 stocks uh, or yeah. businesses not stocks again businesses yeah. Yeah. yeah i think you have to be uh, i think his his first advice is for most people index funds are yes. the right approach yeah, i remember you know, that i think for 99% of the people they should not be picking stocks if you want to so most of your money i guess for a retail investor should be in in either professionally managed Uh, mutual funds or an in index funds or a combination mm-hmm. of them 
which is i think the case for most people who are professional they um they they have like the retirement accounts which go into mutual funds but then uh, if you really are interested uh, to do this then you take some part of your money not everything obviously like some some mm. fraction of your money and then say that's the place where i want to learn how to invest and i start with my circle of competence i focus on certain businesses that i understand well and i learn i keep learning more about them there there's no reason for me to be diversified because you already have a diversified portfolio elsewhere so here mm. you want to have have all your money in a few eggs and like watch them Yes. rather than yes you know, that's a that's a phrase he uses also uh, all eggs in one basket yes it looks like you've got a lot from this book and it's your it's your first buffett book i i i really think you're at the point where you should be reading the buffett biography because it's more in, like even more interesting and le- there is a lot of investing in it but it, this this book is a little bit more dry into investing right the yes. warren buffett book yes. is a story it's like a beautiful story okay. <laughs> that you love reading like okay uh, okay Sure. Maybe that's something we do at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this reading this book. I've read it once. I wanted to take down notes for our podcast, but I sort of suggested the idea, and you really liked it. So without my notes, I'm I'm right here talking about the book. So I guess I retained a lot of it. It yeah. sounded like yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, my my way of observing the book next would be to yeah once I, I, we have talked about it and we have talked about learning about learning so this is one way. The second is actually doing it. So I'm going to chuck myself uh, notes from these into my own way of investing and see how I can absorb them and uh, apply them in, in 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 my investing. So let's see let's see how that goes. <laughs> Uh, good luck so uh, i'm sure we'll uh, track progress at some point <laughs> <laughs> okay great yeah. thanks thanks yeah. a lot krishna for patiently answering my questions and clarifying so many things that i did not get from the book directly but uh, made it simple for me to understand thank you bro. thank you it was fun thank you guys if you okay. like we'll meet you next time in a, in a double digit episode please feel yes, free to double share digit here we come thanks a lot have a good yeah. time to recommend Bye, an interesting Bye, book for our next discussion Bye. please leave us a comment see you next time